Take our Bibles to Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. Last week we saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and we got to see the splendor and the glory of Jesus. Today we see what happens when you come back down the mountain. I love, well, I like how the Lord put it, how God put it for the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 11.11. He says this, But the land wherein ye go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys. That pretty much describes the Christian life right there. There are hills and there are valleys. There are moments of mountaintop moments, and those are wonderful. It takes a lot of work to get up there, right, Louie? Remember the few times? Man, a lot of work. Get up to the mountaintop. But there's a problem at the mountaintop. There's no grocery stores up there on the peak. You could run the notch. Yeah, that's not quite the peak, though. You can't stay up on the peaks of life forever. Jesus, Peter, James, and John couldn't stay up at the top always. They had to come back down. And before us today, we see what the other nine disciples were doing while Jesus was up with Peter, James, and John. I know some of us well, we thought, well, what were they? They were taking naps. They were sleeping. No, they were dealing with the people in the valley. Not everyone got to go on this spiritual retreat with Jesus. Just these few. And as we look here this morning, I want you to see Mark chapter number 9. We're going to read together from verse 14 to verse 29. And then we will put it into context this morning. Verse number 14 says, of chapter number 9, I'm in chapter 10, that's why it didn't look right. I'm like, that doesn't look right. Here we go, chapter 9, verse 14 of Mark. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. This is what the spirit is doing to this young man, this evil spirit, this demon. He teareth him, and he foameth, and gnashes with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. So while Jesus is up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, the other nine disciples are down below, and a great multitude of people are there. And this man brings his son, who has a dumb spirit in him, and no, he's not a teenager. I don't know, maybe he is. You know, some people say, you have a disease that starts at 13 and goes away after 19. It's called those teen years. That's not quite what's going on here. And sorry, the teenagers aren't even smiling when I say that this morning. I thought that was pretty funny. The parents of the teens should be laughing a little bit. Good job, Felix. Way to get in there and, and Belinda. But they, before this time, Jesus had already given authority to the disciples to cast out demons. This man brings his son who's demon-possessed, and they couldn't heal him. The scribes, the religious people of the day, are questioning and mocking the disciples that they can't heal this man. That's what's taking place as Jesus comes back down. 
We look at verse number 19. It says, And he answered, this is Jesus, and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you, and how long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father cried out and said, said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, and rent him sore, and came out of him, and he was as a dead man. Insomuch they said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. Father, I pray that you'd bless the next few minutes that we have here together. We need you. We love you. We thank you for this passage of Scripture. And I pray you'd help us this morning. Get what you have for us. Work in our lives. Work in our hearts. And help us today. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jesus, Peter, James, and John are coming down from the mountain and having a discussion about Elijah. And Jesus is explaining that Elijah, John the Baptist, has already come. We see that in the verses leading up to here. But what we see happen is that as they come back down the mountain, we see number one this morning, we see the situation in the valley the situation in the valley as they come back to the reality of the world you know seeing Jesus for who he is high and lifted up seeing the Son of God having that time with him was basically like taking them out of the world for a few minutes and giving them something special to see but then the reality of life kicks back in we live in a sin cursed world we live in a world where Satan is running amok around us, and that's what they enter back into. And we see the situation, there are at least four situations we see before our eyes this morning. The first one, letter A, is we see there are large crowds of people. Large crowds. Verse 14 tells us that. It said, when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them. They no doubt, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus enjoyed this spiritual retreat away from all the people but once again, they're back with all the people. And while the three were with Jesus seeing these things, the other nine were still ministering and trying to help people. And people were reaching out to them. And we see there was a large group of people here. And verse 15, we see that when Jesus shows up, verse 15 tells us, And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. Greatly amazed means they were utterly astonished. They were in awe seeing that Jesus was there. 
So as we look at the situation in the valley, the first thing that we see is there's lots of people, large crowds. The second thing that we see, letter B, is we see there's lots of conflict. Lots of conflict. Whenever you get a lot of people together, you will have problems. It's going to happen. Let me give you some thoughts about later on today. The 750 people have gotten tickets online for our fall festival today. You say, how many are going to come? You should have limited it to 300. Why? In the past, the most we've ever had given away was about five, 600, and we had about three, 350 come. And we got three hours of time. It'll all work out. Now, this is after COVID, so maybe everyone keeps their word and does what they say they're going to. I doubt it. I doubt that's going to happen. But maybe my unbelief is the reason why, and we'll get to doubt in a little bit later in the message today. But I'll tell you this. If we have 200 people here today, it's going to get a little chaotic. There's probably going to be a little problem here or there. If there's 500 people, there's probably going to be a few problems that come up. That's just what happens. Where there's lots of people, there's going to be conflict. If you want no conflict and peace, just have no people. That solves it, right? Just go be a hermit, live somewhere by yourself, and the only problem you're going to have is yourself. And that, that's my biggest problem, but really, you want to avoid some conflict? Just don't be around anybody. That's one way to do it. When you have lots of people, there's going to be lots of problems. Someone said this way, where two or three are gathered, there's conflict. Now what we see, what's one of the main conflicts happening here in this passage? We see the scribes, the Bible says here, were questioning. Now that word questioning means to mock and to confront. So what the scribes were doing was they were coming to Jesus' disciples and they're like, why can't you help this young man? This dad brings him to you. Your, your leader, your master, your teacher has said you could cast out demons, and you're not doing anything. That says a lot about your leader. That says a lot about you. And we see they were mocking them. We see the conflict going on. Just like that side door keeps opening up there every other minute. We're going to have to put a, a silencer on that door over there. And so that door makes, but then this is the funny thing. That door makes a lot of noise, and then that door it makes a lot of noise too i am glad you're here today it's good to see you thanks for being here today and so i will take people coming in late as long as they're here right any day and that's good and so but those doors make a lot of noise we're gonna put some grease on those doors or something but where there's lots of people there's lots of conflict and as we see it here they're questioning they're not trying to help the situation they're just trying to make the disciples miserable and here, and as we continue on in Mark chapter number 9, we see that Jesus asked them a question. He says in verse 16 of the scribes, what question you with them? It's like Jesus is saying, why are, you, why are you asking them? You can talk to me. And as we look here, we look at what the problem was. Look at verse 18. This man brought his son, and the Bible says here, I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. The issue here was the fact that those that were the closest to Jesus, the ones who followed him, his disciples, were powerless in this situation. There is nothing they could do. And we're going to read why and understand that here a little bit later this morning. The followers of God were powerless to help 
the people in conflict. Have you noticed that our world's in conflict today? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed our country's in conflict today? Have you noticed that? If you haven't, you must have your head in a paper bag or something, or your head in the sand. Because it's in conflict today. Have you noticed the state of California is in conflict today? A lot. Just look at some of the bills our wonderful governor signed this last week. I won't get into all that today. When you have to have a gender-neutral toy section in department stores now, that's pretty crazy. That's quite a bill to sign and put into, put into law. Or it's just another one of his mandates, I don't know. But I wonder today if the world looks at Christians today the same way they did in this passage, as powerless. Our world will always be a world of conflict and craziness. It was back in Jesus' day, and it is today, and it's just continuing that way. When they look to a Christian, when they look to a follower of Jesus Christ, do they see salt and light, or do they see more conflict and more craziness? We are called to be salt and light to this crazy world that we live in. But I look at a lot of us Christians online, and I see the things we post, the things we say, the things we do, and we're helping add chaos into our world. We're not helping to bring Jesus Christ into the situation. Let that help you next time you post on Facebook or Instagram or whatever you use. Or when you text somebody, let that be a thought. But the disciples were powerless. That's the problem here. The third situation we see in the valley is that there were lives that were in spiritual combat. The enemies of Christ are mocking, the scribes are mocking the disciples that they couldn't help this young man. But we also see the fact that this young man has a demon in him. It says there in those verses in 17 and 18, and one of the multitude answered, said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnaweth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. Luke 9, 38 tells us about this man, his son, that this was his only son. Can you imagine how this man felt day in and day out as his son had this demon, this evil spirit inside of him? And this dad watching his son suffering through it and all that was taking place in his life, can you imagine the battles that were going on for this family? But the fourth situation we see in this valley was a loss of confidence, letter D. A loss of confidence. Say, who was the loss in confidence by? Twofold. This man had heard the stories about Jesus and his disciples, I'm sure. And this man had lost some confidence in Jesus, which we'll read about in a few minutes. But you'll also see that the disciples lost some confidence as well. Because they should have been able to cast out this demon and they could not. The nine disciples felt like spiritual failures. And doubts crept in. 
this is the situation that Jesus comes to. But I'm thankful that number two, that Jesus not only is victorious on the mountaintop, but our Savior is victorious in the valley as well. We look at verse number 19, and we see Jesus, he's kind of, he kind of is a bit frustrated. He exas- he, he ex- his exasperation here. Look at verse 19, it says, And he said unto them, and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Psalm 95, 10 is the passage that Jesus is quoting. That expression, oh, was not something that you would use in a conversation with someone face to face. It was more, you know, when he looked over the cities and he was felt for the, the cities or when he's speaking indirectly to something. But to say that here like he did, it's a word of deep anguish and was seldom used addressing someone directly. But what Jesus is doing is he's getting to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter. What does he say? Oh, faithless generation. The matter always comes down to belief. Because the disciples are slow at getting this, Jesus just wants them to get it. Think about what God the Father said in the book of Numbers to the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, all that I've done, the crossing of the Red Sea, delivering them out of Egypt, why won't they just believe me? Jesus to his disciples, how long have you been with me? Have you not seen me raise people from the dead? Have you not seen me heal the sick? Were you not there when I said you had the power to cast out the demons and authority to? What's it going to take for you to understand this? There are two things that Jesus needed to address. There was a father that had a son that needed help. And there were some disciples that needed a lesson. We see the compassion of Jesus. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is compassionate today? I am thankful he's compassionate. And we read all throughout the Gospels, he had compassion The Lord sees this man. He sees the anguish he's been, and the Lord knows how we feel. We don't have a high priest that can't be touched with our infirmities. He's been there. He's been through it all. And Jesus had compassion on this man. And we see the last thing he says there in verse number 19. It says, bring him unto me. That has the idea, bring him unto me. They probably had to carry him. This demon really was trying to destroy this young man. And what we see is, we see in verse number 20, it says, And they brought him unto him. You see, the Bible doesn't tell us who brought him to, who brought the young man to Jesus. It just says they did. Let me just help you this morning. As we tell people about Jesus, that's us. The name doesn't matter. We just get people to Jesus. You see, the, the message The gospel, that's what's important. Jesus is what's important. The person doing it, we're just taking them to Jesus. And you see here, I'm sure this young man, as Kevin mentioned earlier, that song that he sang, I'm sure he is thankful for that man that led him to Jesus. 
And you can think this morning of someone that helped lead you to Jesus. And aren't you thankful for them? I'm thankful for them in my life. And as we look at this, we see they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. This evil spirit seized Jesus and reacted strongly because they know who he is now, powerful he is. And this demon attempts to destroy this young man, and the word tear is used. That's where we get the word lacerating and tearing. The boy fell on the ground, tearing at himself. He's foaming at the mouth, and he's rolling around. And even though Jesus knows the situation, he wants the dad to describe what's happening. You see there in verse 21, it says, How long is it ago since this came upon him? Sounds like when you go to the doctor, right? And the doctor says, when did you start having that problem? Jesus is asking this man, how long has it been? And look at this dad's response. He said, of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us. Have compassion on me and my son. And help me and my son. Think about all this dad had been going through. There are times his son would just jump into a fire. Because that spirit wanted to destroy him. Can you imagine that dad trying to get into that fire and pull his son out? Or later on, the son going down to the river and trying to drown himself and die? And the dad's dragging his son out of the water. His dad's right there, and he says, hey, have compassion on us. Help us. If you can do anything, have compassion on us. Wow. You see, and that's what Satan comes to do and his demons. They come to destroy. The thing about the book of Revelation, it talks about Revelation 9-11, it refers to Satan, it refers to his name in the Hebrew, Abaddon, which means destruction. And in Greek, Apollyon, which means destroyer. That is who Satan is. He comes to destroy and for destruction. This father's faith is starting to grow a little bit. I think he was a little thrown back that the disciples couldn't help. But you'll notice... His faith is not very big. But look at what he says. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This man is not entirely sure at this point that Jesus could heal him. But he appeals and says, hey, have compassion. Help us. Do whatever you can. So why would the man feel that way? Maybe since the disciples couldn't do it, and they represented Christ, they questioned whether Christ could do it himself. Because you remember back in those days, the principle that people lived by, the messenger of a man is as the man himself. And a master who had his followers were a direct reflection of their master. Don't ever forget that you represent Jesus in this world that we live. Hey, our fall festival later on this afternoon, you represent the King of Kings. I love how someone put it this way. You are, a, you are writing a gospel, a chapter every day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. 
Men, read what you write, distorted or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? We see Jesus corrects this man in what he says in verse 23. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to them, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. You see, the question is not in the ability of Christ. Christ is able to do anything. God can do anything. But the question here was in the ability of the Father to believe that Jesus could do it. And Jesus sets him straight here, and I love, and Jesus kind of rebukes him a little bit, because the man says, if you can't do anything, have compassion, help us. And Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible. And I love the man's response. Look at verse 24. I love this attitude when Jesus shows him something. Look at verse 24. And straightway, immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Wow. Do you know how a few verses before he said, have compassion on us, help us? That same word help is the same word here. I do believe, but help my unbelief. That word help is a present imperative, which means continuous assistance. What he is saying is, I believe, but I have doubts. Help my doubts. In the Christian life, you will have doubts. I wish that we all were faithful and never doubted. I would love it to be that way. But that is not the case. There will be moments of doubt. In fact, in this passage, we, you say, well, was this man even saved yet? We'll let the story take care of all of that, and you can ask Jesus someday when we get there. Were the disciples saved? I would say so. They doubted. That's why they didn't do the miracle here. Doubt comes. And I want to give you a few thoughts on doubt this morning. And before we get there, what we see with this man is we see two phases to his faith. The first one is we see that he had no faith, but he had some doctrine. He knew who Jesus was. He heard about him. But between what happened with the disciples and everything else, he doubts that Jesus really can do anything. And then the second thing that we see is that he has low faith and some doctrine. And let me just say something this morning. If you don't remember a lot in the message today, here's a couple things to remember. Low faith, little faith, is better than no faith. I'll say that again, because I think some of us didn't get that. Little faith is better than no faith. And aren't you glad this morning that God doesn't ask you to have faith the size of a mountain? Nowhere in the Bible does God tell you to have great faith. He says to have faith as a grain of mustard seed. You ever seen a mustard seed? The, a grain? It's... It's tiny. You see, this is the thing. You don't have to have great faith, but when you take little faith and put it in a big God, big things can happen. That's the passage here. And sometimes we think, oh, I need great faith. No, you just need a little faith. That's all you need, a little faith. 
And as we look here, and as we look at this man, as we go a little bit further, I want you to understand number three this morning, as we kind of tie things together, that doubt doesn't disqualify you from serving Jesus. You will have doubts. There will be moments of doubts. There will be times when your feelings and things tell you, I don't even know if I'm saved right now. Doubt comes. But what you do when the doubt comes matters. One of the clearest expressions in the New Testament of doubt is found right before Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 16 and 17. Look what it says. Then the disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Now look at the last three words. But some doubted. So I know you say, well, Thomas, Thomas doubted. It says some doubted. That means more than one, correct? Do we know who they were? We don't know exactly, but that's what it says. Of the 11, some worshipped and some doubted. The very next verse, Jesus doesn't say, now if you worship me, then get up and go and tell everybody about me. No, he says to the worshiping ones and to the doubting ones, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says for all of them to go. Why? Because doubt doesn't disqualify you. Doubts come. You might today have some doubts. There might be a situation you're going through and you're like, oh, I just have doubt. It is a natural thing to have doubts. I wish I could say that I never have doubts. I've been a preacher for 11 years. I've been saved for 30 years. And I have doubts at times. A little book that I read with some great truth. It's a little pamphlet. Um, Ray Pritchard put it out. It says, if I believe, why do I doubt? I think it's a good thing for every Christian to read. I'm going to give you a few points from his book, so I gave him credit because I'm taking his points right here. So, and if you, if you do public speaking or you preach or you do those things and you ever take someone's words word for word, you better give them credit for that. And so that's, that's being honest, okay? And so these seven points come from his little pamphlet. Number one, when it comes to our doubts, admit your doubts and ask for help. That's what his dad did in this passage, right? And in the parallel account in Matthew 17, 20, Jesus says that our faith, look at what he says, because of your unbelief, for, Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye shall have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. We often just think we need big faith. Hey, you just need a little faith in a big God. And also, ask for help. If you ask the Lord to help your faith, He will help you. So number one, admit your doubts and ask for help. Number two, recognize that faith is a choice, not a feeling. Faith is a choice, not a feeling. 
oftentimes our feelings will tell us lots of things, don't they? And most of the time our feelings, and let's say, I just don't feel good about this, and then it turns out being fine. Feelings are not faith. Faith is a choice and not feelings. When the disciples were perplexed, Jesus said this to them in Luke 24, 38, and he said to them, why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Recognize that faith is a choice. It's not a feeling. Number three, I like this one. Don't be afraid to borrow some faith. Remember that story that we, in Mark chapter number two, we looked at the story about the, um, how these men brought their friend to Jesus. I think it's Mark 2, 5. Is that the verse? Yeah. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. When he saw whose faith? The man in the bed? And when he saw the faith of those that brought them to Jesus. That's why it's good to have a community of believers that you're with. That's why a church and why an assembling together is so important. Because sometimes you might need to borrow some faith from someone else to help you in a situation. I like that one. Number four. Act on your faith and not your doubts. But so oftentimes, we act on our doubts and not our faith. Remember when uh, Jesus turned to Thomas? And when Thomas said some things and he had some doubts, John 20, 27, then said he to Thomas, reach hither thy, reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it in my sides, and be not faithless, but believing. Hey, church, this morning, don't act on your doubts. But that's what we often do. We doubt something so we don't do it. No, act on the faith that you have. And the faith that you have comes from this book. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so you might say, I just don't, I just am having doubts. Don't act on that doubt. Act in faith what this book says. That's what we need today. And then we see, let's go on to the next one here. Number five, doubt your doubts, but not your faith. Why do you got to doubt your faith? Why don't you doubt your feelings? But that's how we all do it, right? We have doubts, so we act on that doubt. No, instead, doubt your doubts. So you say, I just don't know if I feel saved right now. Doubt that instead of doubting the fact that this book says that no man can ever pluck you out of his hand. So doubt your doubt not your faith. But we, we all do it that way. I do it. So we got to stop doubting our faith and doubt our doubts. Number six, there are some things you'll never understand until you get to heaven. Some people are just waiting for an answer to everything and have everything figured out before you'll put your faith in him. Guess what? You'll never have it all figured out. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. You'll never fully figure God out. You can try, you can try, but that's where faith comes into play. Number seven. Keep going back to what you know to be true. Don't doubt in the dark days what God gave you in the sunshine. Don't doubt this book. Trust this book. What did Paul say in 2 Timothy 1, verse number 12? 
for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul says, I've suffered a lot because of these things. But I'm not giving up. I'm not going to doubt. I know whom I believed. I know he is able. We see that after the father cried out here and said that he doesn't have much faith and asked for more faith, we see that Jesus goes to work. Look at verse 25. When Jesus saw the people come running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead. That's what, and we look at sin. We look at the things of Satan and the thing. They're not fun and games. Satan wants to destroy you. That's his goal. This young man looks destroyed. But, verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. He arose. Jesus did what he came to do. First John 3 8, it tells us they came to destroy the works of the devil. And that's what he did. We look at this passage before our eyes this morning. There are a lot of sad situations. There was a sad situation for this dad that his son wasn't healed. It's a sad situation to see the scribes mocking the disciples and mocking Jesus. Because if you mock the disciples, they were indirectly mocking Christ, right? Yes. Because when you suffer they, they're not picking on you when you're suffering for Christ. They're going after Christ. So the scripture says. The saddest part of this whole thing is the disciples. We're going to close with today, verse 28 and 29. We're rounding the finish line. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. I'm glad that the disciples weren't perfect. Because it helps me when I look at how imperfect I am. And if God could use them, God can use me. I like that they doubted, that they messed up. It causes me to relate better with them on some things. But as we look here and as we close this morning, the saddest part of the whole passage is the powerlessness of the disciples. The disciples were just going through the motions. They might have had the right words, but they were pray, prayerless and powerless. If you get nothing else this morning, hold on tight right here as we close. They had a valuable lesson to learn right here. That previous successes or previous things Jesus said, whatever the case may be, is no guarantee of continual power because we must acknowledge our reliance upon him all the time. Prayer, get this this morning, is the vital link 
between the power on the mountaintop and the desperate problems in the valley. You see, the victory in the valley comes through prayer. You're not going to get those moments. You're not going to get that victory apart from God's help. Saying Jesus said it right here. He says in verse 29, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. May I just help you today? I'm not asking you to cast out a demon, okay? He gave the disciples that power. We could talk more about that another time if we want to go down that road. I'm not asking you to cast out a demon today. But what I am talking to you about, and as I close this morning, is we, just like the disciples, often go through our days powerless. Because the only way you're going to have power in the Christian life is through prayer and fasting. Are you a powerless Christian today? Say, Pastor, I have power. Let me ask you a question. Did you read your Bible today? Did you read it yesterday? Did you read it this week? Did you pray? Prayer acknowledges our reliance upon Him. When's the last time you fasted? Fasting? That's old school. It's mentioned right there. You want power in your life? Fasting is a good thing. Let me give you a little tidbit about fasting real quick, and I'm going to move on this morning. So I think sometimes people think that fasting is like this magical thing, and you fast, and God will just give you whatever you want. If that's why you fast, you miss the whole purpose behind fasting. Fasting is not for you to get things from God. Fasting is to show God that he is more important and you need him more than anything else. What prayer, what your Bible reading each day, what your prayer time each day, what your fasting, when you do it, when you do those things, what it is saying is, God, I need you to make it through today. The problem is most Christians don't need God or act like they don't need God. That's the problem with these disciples right here. Hey, why are they powerless? Hey, you want to have power? You want to be able to do these things, Jesus said? The only way, there's no other way, but through prayer and fasting. Something I try to do every morning. I pray multiple times, and I try to pray for extended periods of time each day. But before my feet hit the floor in the morning, I ask God to guide my steps and help me. I need to be reliant and dependent on him. The Bible tells us that as we get closer to the days of the Lord coming in the last days, it says that they'll have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You know why we deny the power thereof and maybe have a form of godliness? Because we don't pray and because we don't spend time with God. Hey, you want to have power tomorrow at work? Spend time with God before you go. 
Hey, well, I did it last week. You ate last week. Is that good enough for today? Oh, no, pastor, I'm going to eat in a little bit. Yeah, you are. I know you are, so am I. You see, it should be the same thing with spiritual things. Spiritual things don't just add up. You know, it's like being married and you get those brownie points. They add up quick, but they disappear quick, too. One little thing. And uh, some of you know what I'm talking about when I say that. And so they don't just add up and pile up. They're new every day with the Lord. When it comes to the Lord, how many of you would admit this morning that you need God and you need His power in your life? Would you raise your hand? But then, when's the last time you spent time in prayer? When's the last time you spent time in, your wor- in the Word? Say, Pastor, I want to be a power-filled Christian. You can be. Get in the Word and spend time with God. The problem is we don't get those times. And we go through our day and our world looks out of whack, and guess what? We're out of whack. Why? Because we didn't get that time. Let's be a church full of powerful Christians. But that comes as we spend time in the Word and spend time in prayer. And we fast some. We rely upon Him. That's what it's about. It's dependent upon Him. The disciples missed a golden opportunity. But I'll tell you this, in the book of Acts, they took advantage of it. They learned their lessons. Maybe today if there's something you need to learn this morning, apply it to your life, get some power in your life, and move forward for God. Father.